0: Again, it's so good to be here with you this morning. This is kind of that week that's kind of right in the middle. Last week we had the extravaganza. This the next coming week we've got Easter. So we're right in the middle and we're going to hit it hard this morning. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to the book of Mark. We'll be in chapter 11. Mark chapter 11. And I'm going to ask you a question this morning that might be a little bit odd, might sound a little bit different. How many of you missed. Christmas. How many of you missed it? You know what I mean? You wake up so filled with activities, so filled with things going on. You look up on December 26th and you're like, doggone, man, I missed Christmas, man. I got to wait a whole 365 days to experience it again. You know, because you, let's be honest, you've got to buy the presents, you've got to buy the cookies, you've got to make all the. Christmas parties, you got to make them happen. you got to wrap the presents. you got to put them up under the tree. You've got to watch Christmas Vacation. Ain't that right, Clark? A thousand times. You've got to watch Ralphie. And then, surely, you look up at the end of all the activities, and you've realized December 26th, you're like, man, I missed it. I missed Christmas. I didn't have that that moment. It wasn't the best Christmas ever like I said it was going to be. And I got to be honest, just on a transparency note here, just being transparent, just being leveling with you 100%. I, we did the whole Christmas series, and I talked about it week after week. You've got to make this Christmas count. You've got to make it matter. You've got to spend time with the Lord. And I looked up just as I said that I didn't want to do December 26th, and I said, man, I I just missed it. I didn't make the most of it. And many of you are aware that this week is the biggest week of our faith. If you didn't know that, well, now you do. This is kind of like the biggest week of our faith because Christians around the world are getting ready to remember, getting ready to celebrate the last few days of Jesus' life where He was buried, where He he died first, and then He was buried, and then He resurrected. This is the Super Bowl week of the Christian faith of the Christian world, where we look back on those moments. And if you're like me this morning, you might be wondering, how do I make the most of it? How do I not miss Holy Week? How do I get the most out of it? How do I, how do I find those moments that really matter? How do I make it happen? And that's a great question. That's a really good question because let's be honest. It's a lot like Christmas, right? Because you got to buy the dress and it's got to have lots of color. Like, you've got to let people know that you really care. You know, you've got to go to JCPenney at least one time this week. Why, some of you, you got to buy that perfect pink or blue tie, whatever it is for your husband. You've got to have him looking good too. He can't show up shaggy on Easter Sunday. You've got to have brunch right after. On Easter Sunday, you've got to have brunch. you got to get the family together. You might Instagram your food. Some of you might go down to downtown Charleston. You're going to hit every egg hunt within the nearest three miles of this. You've got to do it all, right? You've got to buy the eggs. You've got to dye the eggs. You've got to hide the eggs. You've got to get that perfect family picture where everybody's smiling and you fight 10 minutes to get it and then you fight 10 minutes afterwards. After you've got it, you've got to have it all. And in the midst of that, I'm afraid, and with everything going on, we just might miss Holy Week. We just might miss the most important week of our faith. And so again, I'll ask you, how do we not, Miss the moment. And that's where we're going to pick up this morning because I believe that we get a good indication of this in Mark chapter 11. So if you're there, say, I'm there. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one. You can see it right over there at our connect table, but the word should be up on the screen. Mark chapter 11. We're going to start in verse 1. It says, Now when they, being Jesus and his disciples, Drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, and he said to them, Go into the village in front of you. And immediately as you enter into it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? say, The Lord has need of it, and will send it back here immediately. It's a good thing, Jesus isn't stealing here. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing, untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let him go. And they brought the colt to Jesus, and they threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. That should sound familiar. We just sang that. And he entered Jerusalem and went through the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. So Jesus is getting ready to enter into Jerusalem. Just a few passages before this, Jesus says that He, it says that he has set His face towards Jerusalem. It means that He knows what's coming. He knows that He is eventually going to enter into Jerusalem, and He knows that He's going to meet His death, His burial, and His resurrection. But He has this resolve. He knows what's coming, but He's going to do it anyway. And says, It says that He sends His disciples into this town to get this colt. And he says that as he gets on the colt, he enters into the town of Jerusalem, and many people out there, thousands, thousands, are laying their cloaks on the road, and they're laying palm branches on the road as he enters into Jerusalem. And if you didn't know, that's why we call it Palm Sunday, as they were laying their palms down in the road. Now, this might sound a little bit weird to you, okay? Like, we don't normally do this today. Like, you don't see anybody on St. James with a horse with a colt, with a donkey, or maybe you might. Actually, you might. Around here in this town, you might see it. As I think about it right now, I think I actually have seen that before. Just a guy randomly riding down St. James with a horse. I've, I've seen it happen. But typically, this wouldn't happen in Roman culture. Because a Roman, uh, a Roman leader would often ride into town on a white horse. He would ride into town symbolizing victory in the battle. That the battle has been won, that our enemies have been conquered, and he would ride into town on this white horse. Or often this political figure, he would ride in on the biggest horse he could possibly find. And he would ride into town symbolizing power, symbolizing status, and saying, look at me, I have all the power. And the people would line up around him, and they would celebrate, and they would applaud, here is our hero, here is our hero. But that's not what Jesus is doing, is it? Jesus, he isn't entering in on a white horse, at least not yet. He's not entering in on this giant horse that says that he's entering in on a colt. Symbolizing not power, symbolizing not status, but symbolizing humility, symbolizing meekness, symbolizing an attitude and a heart of service. But he's also doing this because he's fulfilling a prophecy that was said about him hundreds of years before this. You see, in the Old Testament, there was this man named Zechariah. Zechariah was a man of God who would often get messages from God, and he would go out and proclaim these messages. And you can see this in your Bible on your own at Zechariah 9. He prophesies exactly about this hundreds of years before it happens. And this is what he says in Zechariah 9. He says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And so Jesus is doing exactly what the prophet Zechariah said hundreds of years before this even took place. Jesus is doing this very thing. He's entering in on a colt. On a small little animal. And it says that there are thousands of people around him. And they're shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, really what they're saying, or they're saying two separate, is two separate cries. You see, as they're shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, what they're really saying is, save us. We look back on it and we, you know, we kind of sing the song, Hosanna, Hosanna. But for them, it was a desperate cry. It was desperate. Save us. Save us. Come and save us. And they were also saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So it's kind of like they're saying, save us, save us. And they're kind of pointing at Jesus and they're saying, there he is. There he is. He's coming into town. He's coming to save us. There he is. There's the one that we've been waiting on. There he is. He's coming to save us. But you see, this is kind of where the story gets a little bit twisted. It's not exactly the kind of saving that you and I might think that we need saving. You see, the, the Israelites here, the people here, they're shouting Hosanna. They're shouting, save us. And they're looking at Jesus and saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Because there's a real big misunderstanding. You see, they think that Jesus is this king that's going to come and overthrow the Romans. They think Jesus is literally going to kick all the Romans out and bring the Israelites back to this place of prominence and bring them back to a literal earthly kingdom. And they think that Jesus is going to set up shop with a literal throne, with a literal crown, with a scepter for them to rule. They think Jesus is just a stepping stone to get them back to a place of prominence in the world. That's kind of selfishly what they are looking at Jesus for. They think that He is just the second coming of David. And you know what's ironic about this? Is that Jesus is coming to do something better than an earthly kingdom. He's coming to do something far greater than an earthly kingdom. You see, they wanted a physical king, and they didn't have eyes to see their greatest need, a a real spiritual Savior. Jesus is about to do something far greater than they could have ever expected. He was about to give them a way into eternal life. You know, if Jesus would have actually set up shop and if he would have become king, and if he would have set up shop and he would have made them a prominent nation, if he would have brought them into power and given them exactly what they wanted, you know, they would still have a huge problem in the fact that they didn't have access to God. They didn't have salvation didn't have a way into knowing God forever. See, whenever I was a kid in school, I was a little bit of a whiner. Any of you are whiners in school? I know I'm not the only one. Some of y'all are whiners too. Like I was a whiner and I had this teacher. Her name was Miss Cotton. I believe it was in the third grade. Got to be honest, I didn't really like Miss Cotton a whole lot. And it's particularly because whenever I would get a problem or some type of math problem or something like that, I, I would get it and I didn't understand it. I didn't I didn't want to learn it, didn't want to know it. And so I just start whining. I don't get it. I don't, I need your help. Come and, come and tell me the answer. And I finally got to this place where she had helped me so much, where she said, all right, I'm I'm not helping you anymore. She said, you don't really understand. I'm going to fail if you don't help me. I'll never get to the fourth grade if you don't give me the answer to this specific problem. And she would say, no, I'm not going to help you. And she got to that place where she never really helped me again. And I didn't really like that. I didn't really appreciate that. But what she was doing was she was teaching me a valuable, lifelong lesson. You see, if she had given me the answer to every single problem, and I would have never got it on my own. I would have never learned. She was teaching me something that was going to change my life forever, something that was really going to help me. And she's setting into motion something that changed my way of thinking, giving me skills of life. And it's really no different here in what Jesus is doing. They think that he's coming to set up for a few years, but really what he's coming to do is he's coming to change their lives forever. He's coming to change them in a way that they had never expected. You see, Jesus was coming to bring something known as the kingdom. You see, I I love, you know, I love family members and stuff like that where we hang out and we'll, we'll talk about the Lord and we'll talk and reminisce and I'll just point and say, man, I just can't wait that one day to be in heaven. I just can't wait to know Jesus. It's going to be sweet. It's going to be great. And I'll sit there with him and I'm, amen, yes, I agree. I can't wait. It's going to be unlike anything we've ever expected. But one of the things that we often miss is that Jesus came to bring heaven here. Jesus brought the kingdom down to earth. And as soon as he started his ministry, he spoke about this kingdom. He, he represented this kingdom. He embodied the kingdom. He spoke about it. He says, my kingdom's coming. My kingdom is coming. And as we see here, Jesus, he's bringing heaven down to earth. And I just want to say this morning that if you are a follower of Jesus, you are a part of this kingdom. I'm going to say that again. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are a part of this kingdom. And even better than that, if you are a follower of Jesus, you have constant access to the king. If you are a follower of Jesus, you have constant access to the king. And I wish that I could say that these folks here, in Mark chapter 11, I wish that I could say that they were worshiping Jesus. I wish that I could say that they were laying down their cloaks, laying down palm branches. I wish that I could say that it was this overflow of worship. And they were just loving Jesus. Hosanna, there he is. He's coming to save us. I wish I could say that it was worship. But what Jesus was for them was just a means for their selfish ends. That's all that they wanted. He was just a means to an end help us, lead us back to a place of prominence, get us back to where we were. But if they had really known what Jesus was coming to do, they would have latched on to Him, and they would have cried out. They would have latched on to Him for real salvation. But get this, this is not even the biggest moment of this entire passage. This is not the biggest moment. You see, Jesus has kind of got the red carpet laid out for him, and they're laying their cloaks on him. This is kind of like a celebrity-like moment. Like, I don't know you particularly. I don't know your story. Some of you might be celebrities, but I'm not a celebrity. And I'm never going to have a moment like this in Mark chapter 11 there's never going to be a day in my life where they're laying down cloaks and laying down palm branches for my, for my entry, for my arrival, just shouting and waiting. And if I think I know you like I do, I don't think there's ever going to be a point in time in your physical life where they're laying out the red carpet for you. But here for Jesus, they're doing that. He's like this big celebrity, big celebrity in Jerusalem. Thousands of people centered around him, just looking at him, kind of waiting to see what he's going to do. In the next few passages, I love what we see about Jesus. In the very next few passages, what Jesus is going to be doing is he's going to be healing the sick. He's going to be hanging out with a bunch of fishermen that nobody knew. He's going to be washing their feet. He's going to be taking care of the homeless, taking care of the poor. You see, Jesus is the king in Mark chapter 11, but he is the king who's near. He's the king who you have access to. You see, there's been a lot of kings in history, a lot of kings that have come and they've gone, and they've sat on their thrones and they're celebrities, and their names are in the history books, but there were not really many kings where you could have constant access to. You see, Jesus is the king who is near. Jesus is the king who desires your affections. Jesus is the king who desires intimacy with you, specifically. And the bottom line this morning, if you don't take anything else away from this, the bottom line is that Jesus has brought the King. He has brought this kingdom so that you might have intimacy with the King. Jesus has brought this kingdom so that you might have intimacy with the King. You see, I... I love Easter season, I love Holy Week, I love the festivities, I love it all, I love what it, what, it remember, what we remember, what it commemorates, what it represents, I love all those things, but one of the things that I think we often miss, and one of the main points of Easter season is that Jesus Christ went to the cross for your sins, He died on that cross, was buried and then resurrected so that you might have access to the King. Easter season is a lot about prayer. It's a lot about you being with God. And so we celebrate. We're happy. the festivities are going to happen. But one of the main reasons that we look back and one of the main things it represents is that you have access to God. You can sit at His feet anytime you want, anytime you need. And so Holy Week is about that. And this week, the King is calling you to reflect on His love for you. This week, the King is calling you to spend time with Him. He's calling you to be near to Him. You see, my wife and I have been married almost seven years now. And one time, she had a birthday, and I got her, I got her some gifts any of you ever just gotten your wife's birthday wrong? Like gotten a gift wrong for somebody that you really love? Like I, I did it. I was that husband. I got the wrong gift. Did the wrong thing. Like am I the only one? Please tell me I'm not the only one. You've done. Okay, thank you. Good. I'm not the only one. Well, you did something wrong. Well, okay. This one particular year, I think it was our first year that we were married. I did this whole elaborate thing. Did this whole plan where I got the families together, had some of our friends in. I even got a cake, and I was like patting myself on the back, like I'm the best husband in the world. First year marriage, didn't mess it up, got everything right. She's going to love it. She's going she's to really enjoy this, had a great time. And I just remember doing it. We had a great time. We enjoyed it. And it comes time for us to go to bed that night, and I can just tell that something's off. You know those moments, guys, like whenever something's off and you just know it? Like you know something's off. And I had to pick and I had to pry just to get it out Or I had to pry, like tell me what's wrong, what's wrong. Nothing's wrong, what's wrong, nothing's wrong. I can tell that something's wrong. Nothing's wrong, I promise, nothing's wrong. And we played this game for about an hour. I'm just trying to drag it out, I'm just trying to pry it out. Please tell me, I know something's wrong. No, babe, nothing's wrong. I enjoyed it. I we had a great party, had a great time. Yeah, we did, yeah, we did. But what's wrong? Nothing's wrong. And I finally got to that point, and I said, please, just for the love of goodness, just tell me. And she goes, well, we had a great time, had a nice time. I got the family together, you know, and she's kind of fidgeting because she didn't really want to tell me. And she goes, well, it's, it was all good, but it would have been nice if we could have just spent some time together today. I said, oh, okay how much time. (laughs) But I threw the party for you. Had the cake. families were there. It was a great time. Yeah, it would have been nice to just, you know, just sit, me and you, just have some quality time. And, you know, just have a card for you to just, you know, tell me how you feel. Just tell me how you feel about me. And I said, uh, okay, I'll get you a card and i don't think she's ever had a holiday valentine's day easter sunday 4th of july like i don't halloween i get her a card like i don't really but i learned that day my wife's love language what she really wants from me is she really wants quality time what she really wants is not just for me to go and do a bunch of this stuff Now, she was grateful. Listen, I had the best wife in the world. She was incredibly grateful, but what she really wanted was just time with me. Now, I'm afraid that if we're not careful, this entire week, we might do the very same thing. We might do the same thing to our King, to our Lord, where we dress up nice, where we hide those eggs, where we might have the... The ham and the spread on Easter Sunday. You might even invite five people to church next week. But I'm afraid that if we're not careful, what we're going to miss is that our King just wants time with us. Our King just wants us in prayer and in in time alone with Him. And I love this because what that means is that my King Jesus just wants me Yes, Jesus came to save us for eternity, but He also came to save us for here and now. Yes, our King came to save us from the penalty of sin, but He also came to save us from the power of sin here and now. And so I'm just going to give you a few ideas. Here's what I'm going to do this week. I have a lovely dinner table at my house every day this week, today included. I just want to clear my schedule. I just want to clear some time. I'm not going to turn on Netflix. I'm just going to sit at my table. I might have some music playing softly. I'm going to have some coffee there. No distractions, just me and God. Just me and God. When I sit together at my king's feet and just have intimacy with the king, maybe this week, maybe some of you need to work really, really hard to clear your schedule. Maybe some of you need to work really, really hard to say no to somebody, to some things you might have going on. And some of you might be moms this morning and you're saying, oh, dude, you have no idea, no way that's going to happen. I got kids running around the house. Maybe this week you might need to find a babysitter. And I'm being serious. Maybe you need to find a babysitter for just a couple of hours, maybe to go down to the beach to find a Starbucks, whatever it is, where you know it's just you and the Lord. Maybe some of you dads, you need to just clear your afternoon one day, take off early from work, maybe even call a vacation day, and just say, I'm going to spend time this afternoon with Jesus. I encourage you, some of you, our families are really close, family friends. Some of us are in missional communities together. I encourage you to get together as families to pray, and we've done a very special thing for our church, and you can, again, just pick one of those prayer guides up this this morning as you leave, but we've given you a prayer guide for specific things that you can be thinking about, specific things that you can be praying through each day of the week, where we look back on the last few days of of Christ's life. And I promise you that if you clear time, I promise you that if you make time for this, you won't regret it. It'll be one of the most meaningful things for you to do this Easter season. I'm going to ask you to do something this morning right where you sit. Just where you are, I'm going to ask you if you would, just close your eyes. Close your eyes. I promise I'm not going to be awkward. I'm not getting down off the stage. (laughs) Just right where you sit this morning. Close your eyes. Just breathe for just a second. Just be. This is what you're going to be doing this week. I want to remind you right where you sit this morning as you're sitting there you're not called a human doing I'm not called a human doing I'm called a human being just be right now now here's my question for you with your eyes closed if Jesus Christ in the flesh was coming to downtown Charleston this Friday. He's coming to downtown Charleston, and he said, out of the thousands and the millions, out of the spectacle, that somehow in the mystery of who he is, he has time to spend with just you. You alone. And he's got time to spend with you sitting and listening and hearing your heart. He's going to be there. If you knew that he were coming, let me ask you, what would you make happen in order to be there? Some of you would move heaven and earth. You would say no to somebody. You would do whatever it took, whatever it required of you. You would take off work. You would tell somebody no. You would be down in downtown Charleston just to sit and experience Jesus. I promise you, you would. What would you make happen? Now look up. Whatever you just said that you were going to do, I want you to go this week and do it. Because He is here. And He is alive. And what does it say about us? Is it, what, what does it say about us? If Jesus were here physically, we would move heaven and earth. We would go down to downtown Charleston. We would be there. If he was just here physically, I'd go and do it. But since he's here spiritually, I ain't got time. Are we doing exactly what the Israelites and the Jews here did in Jerusalem? Are we no different Wanting a physical Savior? Are we no different wanting something in the flesh? Let that not be true of us this week. This morning, if you're here and all of this might sound strange to you, I I, I just, I want to say to you that Jesus is the King. Whether you know it or not, whether you like it or not, and what he wants from you this morning is he wants you to bend that knee and surrender your life to him as king. And you see, here's the thing is that at some point or another, every single one of us in this room, every single one of us on planet earth, at one point or another, we were rebels to our king. We were hostile Enemies to our king. We were rebellious, trying to overthrow his leading, overthrowing his rule. We were living in what we call brokenness. Some of us turning to drugs, some of us turning to alcohol, some of us turning to relationships, some of of us turning to success, turning to worldly status. And here's the good news. Is that God saw us in our brokenness? He came down in the form of Jesus Christ, went up on that cross, and He died for you. Somebody had to pay for your rebellion. Somebody had to pay for your brokenness. Some of us are still running this morning. And my message for you to hear today is very simple. Is that this King Jesus, he's transcendent, he's bigger than anything that we know, but he is the king that's nearer to you than anybody sitting beside you. And all he wants this morning is your intimacy, your affections, your love, a surrendered heart. That's what he wants from you this morning. If you've never followed Jesus, if you've never surrendered to him and given your life to him this morning, let the day be the day. Let that be your first move. I'm going to be in the back of the room this morning. And if you need anybody to pray with, let that be your first move. But some of you, you've been following Jesus for a long time. You've been following him for many years. There's just something between you and the Lord this morning. There's something that's holding you back from worshiping freely. There's something that's holding you back from spending time with Him intimately. Maybe you're going back to that brokenness, that former thing that you used to live in. Some of us are wrestling this morning. Let me just say to you too, Jesus loves you. Don't run from Him. Be intimate with your King this morning. And if you too need somebody to pray with this morning, and I'd be in the back of the room and I'd love to pray with you, Whatever Christ is calling you to be obedient to this morning, I pray that you would be found obedient. Would you guys pray with me? Father, this is the good news of the gospel. It literally means good news, gospel. That we were broken rebels, rebelling against our king, rebelling against the God and Creator of this universe, you saw us in our brokenness. You saw us in our rebellion and loved us even while we still rebelled against you. Came down as Jesus Christ in the flesh, died on the cross, buried three days and came back to life. This is good news, that we have access to God. So I pray for my brothers and sisters in this room this morning. I pray for the one that's far from you this morning. I pray for the one who might be wrestling in their seat this morning. I pray for the one who hasn't prayed to you in a long time. I pray for the one that's running. I pray for those firm believers this morning. I pray that you would strengthen them, give them encouragement this morning. Give us strength to obey, Jesus. We love you. And it's in your name we pray.